When I say the word evangelism, I wonder what comes to your mind. I think it gives a lot of Christians the EBGBs. I believe it creates anxiety and consternation. The idea that God might actually use us to help lead someone else to a relationship with Christ is something that really scares most Christians. In survey after survey, when asked, why do you not share your faith more frequently? Christians consistently give these two answers far above all others. Answer number one, I don't know what to say. Second response, even if I did, I'm afraid to say it. I mean, what if they ask me questions I can't answer? What if they reject me and think I'm a religious nutcase? The idea of sharing our faith fills the minds of most Christians with a lot of fear. Last week, we started a new series called Turning Points, where we're talking about how do people come into a relationship with Christ anyway? And we looked last week at Andrew's story. I pointed out three things about Andrew, that he left John the Baptist, that he started learning from Jesus, and that he led his brother Simon to Christ. I wanna pick up right there today where we left off, and today I want us to talk about Simon and this whole idea of how God uses us to help lead others to Christ. John chapter one, verse 41 reads, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. I'm impressed by Andrew. No dilly-dally, no excuses, no delay, no messing around. He came into a vital relationship with Christ, and it seems the burning passion on his heart was to help lead someone else that he cared about to Christ. What an example he is. And as we noted last week, he's been a stirring example to millions of Christians down through the centuries He's just like one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And Andrew goes to Simon, and he says, look, we found the Messiah, the Christ. By the way, sometimes our family is a good place to start. Now, if your family are all believers, and I'd be amazed if there are any families where everyone is a believer, but if they are, wonderful but if not everyone in your family is a believer, then that may be a good place to start sharing your faith in Christ. But the point is that Andrew immediately, when he had come to know Jesus himself, found his brother Simon and brought him to Jesus. Now in today's message, I wanna make two simple observations about that and build some thoughts around those. The first observation is simply this, Simon needed to be reached. Simon needed to be reached. And when anyone is away from God, whether they are cynical about it, whether they could care less, or whether they are rather open to the idea, everyone needs to be reached. 
because it is God alone who saves a person. But let me hit you with an idea here. While it is God alone who saves, it is God alone who initiates the work in a person's heart and draws a person to Christ. Listen, God uses people in that process. Think about this for a moment. Although God has millions of angels ready to go, ready to serve. In fact, the very word angel means messenger. God never calls on angels to share the gospel. He could, they're ready, but he depends rather on you and me. He depends on people to evangelize our neighbors, our family, our coworkers, and our friends. God never sends an angel to the mission field, at least to share the gospel. What he does is he sends people. In Romans chapter 10, Paul talks about this. In fact, this is one of the most provocative passages because he sets up a chain of six links here that have to do with people coming to Christ. And he says here, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then... Can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how can they hear unless someone preaches to them? And how will they preach, he says, unless they are sent? Six links, if you will, in the chain. A person is saved, link number one, when they call, link number two. They call when they believe, link number three. They believe when, some, when they hear, link number four. When they hear when somebody tells them and somebody tells them when they are sent. Now, we know something about a chain, don't we? A chain is only as strong as its, what? Weakest link. And if God sends someone but they don't go and tell then as strong as the chain may be, the chain is broken. And here's what I want us to understand today, that God has already sent every one of us who are true followers of Jesus Christ, who really have said, I'm all in, Lord. I not only want to be saved, I want to be sent. I want to be changed by you. I want to be a part of your strategy in this world. Everyone who's been saved has been sent. Matthew 28 is a passage I hope you really know if you're a disciple of Jesus. We call it the Great Commission. This is a passage every Christian ought to be well aware of, and it reads like this. Then Jesus said to them, came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know what? No believer is excluded from that commission. He didn't say, hey, Peter, you'd be really good at this, so, so this applies to you, and uh, let's see. Thomas, you've got a great testimony. You're a clear thinker, and uh, you used to be a skeptic, but now you're a convinced believer, so you'd be good. 
Let's see, James and John, you are pretty rambunctious, sons of thunder. This applies to you, but everybody else is off the hook. He didn't say that. This commission is for every true believer. It's a universal command in which we're all to be involved. So let me put it to you this way. If you're not sent, you're not saved. If you're not sent, you're not saved. All true Christians have received this commission to go. We are all sent on a mission for Jesus Christ in the world in which he's placed us. Now hear me, that does not mean we're all equally gifted in evangelism. We are not. But we all can help move people at least a step closer to Jesus Christ through who we are, through our character, through the way we talk, through our actions. We can be great representatives for Jesus Christ and witness to what he's done in our lives. You see, the essence of what God's looking for is that all of his people would take that seriously and be involved in that. Here, in this passage we're in, I think it's one of the greatest passages, by the way, on evangelism and all the Bible, we see John the Baptist pointing Andrew to Jesus. Then Andrew points his brother Simon to Jesus. Then Jesus goes and finds Philip, and then Philip, after finding Jesus, points Nathaniel to Jesus. And it just goes on and on and on, one believer reaching out to another person and helping connect them to Jesus. That's what I would call evangelism by multiplication. And it's a whole lot better than evangelism by addition. Evangelism by multiplication is what God has really ordained and designed. What would evangelism by addition look like? Hey, everybody, Jesus is preaching. Come and hear him. Wow, he's got good sermons. Have you ever heard, heard him tell a parable? Woo, he is so funny. He throws these zingers out there. Come and hear Jesus. That's evangelism by addition. Jesus is the evangelist. He's the one sharing, and we just invite him to come and hear Jesus. That's better than nothing. But please hear me today. That's not what God designed as the strategy. Multiplication happens when people who've met Jesus begin to reach out to the people in their sphere of influence, their concentric circles of concern, if you will. Now, let me illustrate for you the power of multiplication. Let's suppose, go with me here, there's just one believer in the entire world, one And let's say that that one believer over a period of six months reaches out and by God's amazing grace is able to help lead one other person to faith in Christ. So at the end of six months, you have two Christians. And then let's suppose that those two then are able by God's grace to reach out and win one other person each to Christ. So at the end of one year, you've got how many Christians? Four Christians at the end of one year. Boy, that seems slow, doesn't it? Incredible. But let's suppose that those four Christians over the next six months reach out and 
are able by God's grace to win one other person to Christ. So at the end of 18 months, you've got eight Christians in the world. And this continues at the end of two years, you've got 16 Christians. If you keep on going at that rate, after five years, you will have 1,024 Christians in the world. Now, Currently, there are 327.2 million people in the United States of America. And going at this rate, it would take you slightly, slightly over 14 years to reach the entire country for Christ. Let's go a little further. Do you realize that in the North American continent, there are currently 579 million people? These are the latest statistics, 579 million on the continent of North America, and barely over 14 and a half years, at this rate, you could win them all to Jesus Christ. Think of that. United States, Mexico, Canada, win everybody in barely over 14 and a half years. And after 16 and a half years, there would be 8,589,934,592 Christians in the world. No, there wasn't because there's only 7.8 billion people on the planet. As of a few days ago, January 2020, but the entire world would have been one to Jesus Christ by that kind of multiplication in a mere 16 and a half years. But you say, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor X. Don't you know that people die and people are born? Wow, you're right, good thinking. Let's include them. Let's include them at current death rates and birth rates around the world. And by the way, there are a lot more births than deaths. We would net out about 84 million new people a year in the world, 84 million. Taking away those who die, adding those who are born, worldwide about 84 million people per, per year at current rates. So let's include that in the total figure. And by the way, you can even double or triple those birth rates, and you can even lower those death rates, and still easily, easily within 17 years, the whole planet would be disciples of Jesus Christ if, if every Christian, just every six months by God's grace, was able to lead one other person to Christ. And the person who had led the most to Christ at the end of those 17 years would be the original Christian who would have led 34 people to Christ in those 17 years. Wow, is it doable? Is it possible? That's the power of multiplication. But now, I wanna describe to you, go with me here. I know this feels like a math lesson. You say, I didn't like math. Well, chill on me here. Go with me. This is powerful stuff. I want us to understand today our responsibility and what God's plan is in the world. Let's look at evangelism by addition. Let's say we have some super-duper powerful evangelist, you know, like Billy Graham on steroids, who's just amazing, and let's say that we're gonna fill, fill Nayland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, seats slightly over 102,000 people. We're gonna fill it with 100,000 people every night, and every one of them are unbelievers, and every one of them come to faith in Christ, 100,000 people. You do it again the next night. 100,000 unbelievers. After two nights, you got 200,000. Now remember, after a whole year with multiplication, you've only got four Christians. After a year. 
After a week of this edition, you've got 700,000 believers. After 10 days, you hit your first million. It's unbelievable. I mean, this is amazing. Filling Nayland Stadium every night. In about two months, almost the entire state of Tennessee, the state I grew up in, would have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And believe me, they need it, all right? Almost the entire state would be Christian. Now remember, by multiplication, four Christians at the end of a whole year. And going at this rate, it would take you a little bit less than nine years to see the United States entirely one to Christ. So addition looks really impressive at first, but how long would it take to reach the whole world? It would take 213 years, which means, of course, you would never do it because you would have three generations at current lifespan rates, 71 years. I know it's a lot more than that, especially for women in the U.S., but we're looking at the whole world here. Current rates, lifespan around the whole world, averaging every ethnicity, every country, every ethnic group is 71 years right now. You would have three generations that would have been born and died and born and died and born and died, which means you would never accomplish it by addition. God has designed his church to be a multiplying church. It will never cut it for us to have one or two people who kind of have the gift of gab and know how to kind of talk about the faith. And we say, come and hear them. Well, that's better than nothing. But God has designed for every Christian to take seriously his or her role in this worldwide task of introducing people to Christ. And that's exactly what's happening here in John 1. It could be made into a mantra. Each one, reach one. Each one, reach one. Just start praying for one. Just pray for one. And help build a bridge of friendship to them and help lead them to Christ. I read about a blind man in rural India who had cataracts, and he went to a medical clinic and had a routine surgery, and he could suddenly see. He was so ecstatic with this gift of sight. He went out, and a few days later, he walked back to the clinic holding one end of a rope, and on the other, other parts of the rope were 40 blind people that he had gone out and found that he was now bringing to the clinic. And having brought them to that little hospital, this little clinic, he rolled up his rope and went out and looked for some more. That's kind of what evangelism is. Perhaps the most popular definition ever was by a guy named D.T. Niles who said evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. That's God's plan. And by the way, this is really all throughout the New Testament. It's not just in John 1. For instance, Paul says to this young pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.2, he says, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men. Entrust these things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. There are four generations represented in that one statement. Paul is the first, Timothy's the second generation, reliable people is the third generation, 
who will be able to tell others that's the fourth generation. God's plan for the church is not to just fill big rooms with some person with a gift of gab and invite people to come. That's better than nothing. I'll say it again. But God's idea is not addition, it's multiplication. That's the only way the explosive Holy Spirit power of his kingdom is ever gonna be released in the immensity that God desires. By the way, when Paul wrote that little verse there to Timothy, do you know where Timothy was? He was in a place called Ephesus. Really cool city, very pagan kind of city. And Paul spent three years there. And it says in the book of Acts that he rented a big hall. Woo! Called the Hall of Tyrannus. He rented it out. And he would like speak there every day on this really regular basis. And people came to hear him. You see, I, Pastor, I thought God wasn't into addition. No, addition is fine. But see what the people did after this. The book of Acts says that the whole of Asia, and it says everyone in Asia heard the gospel. Does that mean they packed up buses and brought trains and airplanes down to Ephesus and filled up the hall of Tyrannus so they could hear Paul? Of course not. Some people got to hear him that way. But the reason it would make such an audacious statement that Everyone in Asia, by the way, that doesn't mean the Far East like Japan and China. This is talking about Asia Minor, modern day Syria, Turkey is what it's talking about. The reason it says everyone heard the gospel is because after hearing the gospel and meeting Christ, they then went out and began to share. For instance, one example of that was a young man named Epaphras who was originally from the city of Colossae. And I think it's kind of cool that later when Paul writes a letter to the Christians in the city of Colossae. We have it in our Bible today. It's called Colossians. You know what he says to them? He talks about the gospel, and he said, you heard it first from Epaphras, our dear servant who's a faithful minister in the Lord. Epaphras heard Paul in Ephesus, went back to his hometown and said, I've just heard a message that's changed my life. I think you need to hear it too. That's the power of multiplication. So I ask you simply, if you're a follower of Jesus, what are you doing to help lead other people to Jesus? Not what is the church doing? That's a question we, could all, we should always keep asking. What are we doing corporately? That's a good question too. But I'm asking a different question. What are you doing personally as God the Holy Spirit guides you to be used as his catalyst in this world, just like Epaphras, just like Andrew, to help lead people to Jesus Christ. Are you thinking of ways to introduce them to the Lord? Are you also using the power of an invitation? Say, hey, come with me to Financial Peace University. I'd love for you to sign up. Are you inviting them to the student ministry meeting that happens during the week? Are you inviting them to some of our midweek offerings here at the building or to the small group that meets in someone's home? Are you inviting them to a worship service on the weekend? I'm gonna speak very plainly as I'm accustomed to doing 
if you're not involved in helping in some way reach people for Christ, at the very least, at the very least, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. At the very least. Because the main passion on God's heart, he doesn't want people to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The main passion on God's heart, it's the reason Jesus came, is so that people could come into a saving relationship with God, have their sins forgiven, be born from above, and their lives changed by the Holy Spirit. If we're not in some way involved in that, the very least that can be said is that we're grieving the Holy Spirit. I think it's actually more likely that if we're not involved in reaching others, we are acting like people who have not been reached ourselves. That's the truth. Because the moment we find Christ, he begins to put a passion on our heart for people who don't know Christ yet. We care about them. We really want to see them find Christ. And one of the crystal clear evidences that someone is being changed by the Lord is just like Andrew in John 1, just like Philip who goes to find Nathaniel, just like John the Baptist who pointed people to Christ, we have a passionate desire to connect others with Christ. I want us to listen now to another turning point story. We're looking to hopefully have one every weekend. It's another member of our church family. And I want you to listen now to Samantha's story as she talks about her turning point. I grew up in the church. I remember going every Sunday with my mom and watching her take notes, going to Sunday school, youth groups, doing all of those things. But I also experienced a lot of trauma growing up. And at the age of 12, I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I can still remember that feeling, that, that darkness that was just so overwhelming. And we tried so many different things, different doctors, therapies, medications, just to try and give me just a sliver of hope to keep going. But I could not see past my pain. I could not see that there was any hope, that there was any future, that my life would ever amount to anything. And after years of this darkness, I, at the age of 14, attempted suicide. I remember being in the hospital and the nurse coming in the room and it wasn't the nurse that was working on my case but I remember him coming in and looking at me and saying what are you doing here and I remember thinking he, he must have looked at my chart he's got to know why I'm here but I looked at him and I said I don't want to live anymore and he said you're not like the other kids that come in here there's something different about you you're special you don't belong here and in that moment, it felt like God had swooped down just to breathe life into me. And that was the turning point for me. That was the moment that I decided if this Jesus thing is real, if this Savior thing is real, then I'm all in. I started going to church and, and reading the Bible and studying the Word and going to those youth groups and begging my mom to let me go to a Christian school just so that I could flood my brain with Jesus. It's certainly not been a cakewalk since then, but I know now that no matter what I go through, that he is with me, that 
darkness that was so overwhelming has been replaced with so much joy, so much peace, so much hope. That is something that I wish everyone could feel. Amen. That's a powerful story. Amen. Amen. There's so many powerful stories like that represented in this church family. It's, it's actually a, incredible to think about the amazing journey God has brought people on. But see, here's the point. Everyone needs to be reached. No matter how far away from God they may seem to be, and Simon here in our story needed to be reached, but there's one final observation that I wanna make very quickly, and that is that Simon not only needed to be reached, but he needed to be renovated. Let me explain what I mean by that. Verse 42 reads, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, the Greek word Petros or Petra. You say, so what? A change of name, big deal. I heard about a guy named William Stinks. That was his real name. Stinks was his last name. There are a lot of strange names in the world, folks, you know, when you really think about it. And he, he grew to hate his name because everybody poked fun at him. William Stinks, there were all kinds of jokes and people laughed at him. So he finally got tired of it. He went to court to officially have his name changed. And... Uh, the official said, well, son, what, what do you want to change your name to? He said, well, people are laughing at me all the time. I, I, I want to change my name. He said, what do you want to change it to? I want to change it to Frank Stinks. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home, I think. But Jesus changed Simon's name, and it was a big change. It was a renovation. Now listen today, when you have your turning point and come to Jesus, he has an agenda for your life. His agenda is always this. I wanna renovate your complete being so that you ultimately become who I designed you to be. You're Simon, you will be Peter. Now at surface, that is almost laughable because you know anything about Simon at this point, he is anything but a rock. That's what his new name meant. He is vacillating and unstable and unreliable and weak. A more appropriate name might have been Sandman. Here today, gone tomorrow. I can't count on him. You ever built a sandcastle on the beach? Don't expect it to be there tomorrow. A little wind, a little water, and boom, it is gone. It'd been better to say, you're the Sandman. There's not much substance to your life. You're pretty fickle and vacillating. But Jesus saw something. And he sees something in you. And I just want to say to you today, in these closing minutes, Jesus is stoked up. I mean this, stoked up about what he's designed you to be. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. 
God's word says it this way in Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That word predestined is an awesome Bible word. And a part of what it means in scripture, and it's certainly clear here, is that you're predestined to be something more than you are right now. You're going to be like Jesus. It's not where you are when you start. It's where God is taking you. God has renovation in mind. You may look in the mirror and see a sand man or woman, but God says, I've designed you for something far, far more impressive. Say, Pastor, that's encouraging and everything, but there are a lot of people against me. I have a lot of strikes against me. He goes on just a few verses later and says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? If this is God's business, do you honestly think he's going to fail? Now, for those of you who are married or maybe in a relationship, you may look at your spouse or your friend right now, and you, if you were to say to them, I'm going to be like Jesus one day, they may snicker. But it is absolutely true. If you belong to Christ, it is going to happen, and he's going to see to it. Peter needed to be reached, but he really also needed to be renovated, changed from the inside out. And we all do. Years later, I think this is kind of cool, Peter wrote in the book we call First Peter. He wrote two books that are in our New Testament, First and Second Peter. He wrote, and coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, and, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. That's Peter's story. And it's ours. I once was a sandman, vacillating, unreliable, but God made me a rock. So I want you to leave here today incredibly encouraged. God's got an agenda in your life, and it is good. If you're one of those people who feels that nothing is going on or nothing is exciting about your life, wow, nothing could be further from the truth. You belong to Jesus. He's got a major renovation project going on. And here's the promise I leave you with. Philippians 1.6 puts it like this. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Who began that good work in you? Jesus Christ did. Who's gonna carry it on to completion? Jesus Christ is. And that, my friend, means that you can walk away today encouraged, excited, expectant, anticipating what God has in store for you. I'm telling you, it is good. Father, we praise you for that. Thank you for the ways that you work in our lives and that you don't give up on us. Boy, that was certainly true of Simon Peter as we're gonna learn more about his story in the coming weeks, we see one that you just kept on and kept on and kept on working. That's kind of the story of a whole bunch of us because we need your constant grace every day to renovate us from the inside out. 
So today, as we talk about your mission in the world, Lord, may it not be this overwhelming thing where we feel like nailed to our chair. Oh my goodness, how could I ever do? No. Help us to understand that anything you call us and send us to do, you also equip us and energize us to do if we will only call on you and access that. Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves afresh and anew, and we say, Lord, we are yours. Use us as you please in this world. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.